0: Today's podcast is a recording from a webinar recently held on the Elevate Master Builders Learning Platform. I am joined by Paul and Reza from MB, who help us make sense of the new exemptions to consents for building work. In addition to understanding the rules, we explore what opportunity this presents for licensed building practitioners. Please take a look at the show notes where we have downloads of the webinar content and the guidance released by MB on this topic. So guys, welcome along. Great to have the team from MB here. I'd like to now hand over to them to do introduce themselves and we'll kick on into it. Paul, over to you.
1: Yes, thanks very much, uh, Ryan. Uh, Paul Hobbs here from uh, MB. I'm the uh, principal advisor, regulatory uh, performance and the building systems assurance team. We're uh, largely a um, operational team and I have actually formed the functions of the licensed building practitioner registrar, so. Thanks Paul.
2: And my name is Reza Seth and I am a senior structural engineer in building system performance team. And our engineering team is responsible for maintenance and updating the building code requirements.
0: Fantastic. So, there any of the uh, really tricky technical questions you'll be able to answer for us? <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. So, yeah, just this first slide um, really is an introduction um, and basically pointing to the fact that the government uh, has chosen to make some changes to one of the schedules in the Act. There are four. Uh, this schedule, Schedule 1 deals with exempt building work. So uh, some of the benefits from uh, the changes, there's sort of been estimated that uh, 9,000 consents may no longer need to be applied for because of these new exemptions, these new suite of exemptions, which uh, represents a a saving, I guess, to consumers or homeowners of about $18 million. And not having to go through the consent cycle and uh, managing your own work in this space uh, will increase productivity. Uh, The last thing I'll mention on this slide is uh, that we've got guidance already out in the sector. In the latest Build uh, magazine, it was Build 179. There's a really good piece in there for LBPs on uh, the new exemptions, and it's sort of focused in, although they're not all sort of LBP-facing exemptions, gives you highlights of, of what's yet to come. If you haven't read it, I'd encourage you to read that. So I guess the first thing to mention here is because we're dealing with a pretty savvy bunch tonight, there's a, an assumed base level of knowledge around um, Schedule 1, so it's existed for some time. There's been a range of exemptions that you could uh, use in the past. Some are homeowner-facing exemptions, others are for engineers, and some of them, uh, as you be aware, are for plumbers, gas fitters and drain layers. So the enabling powers that flow out of the Building Act that uh, provide for this are in Section 41. Um, And that talks about building work for um, certain classes of buildings and and people that uh, are occupationally licensed. Uh, Probably worth noting here that uh, there's a really comprehensive guidance document that will back up what we say. And there's a lot of other sort of collateral that will be out in the marketplace in time. So this is by no means the only touch that you'll get in this space.
0: And Paul, the the best place to find the uh, document that has all the details, is that on the MB website?
1: It will be, yeah. It's uh, Uh, building.govt.nz. I guess the new exemptions, uh, most important point there, Uh, there's a suite of exemptions. This was uh, long sort of touted as part of the uh, Licensed Building Practitioner Scheme that this would eventually happen. So it's nice to see that uh, it has surfaced as part of the building reform that's going through at the moment. There's another... Uh, suite of exemptions that uh, you'll be used to seeing, uh, where the design actually has to be looked at by an engineer, a chartered professional engineer. Even the exemptions I guess, that uh, don't require uh, an LBP or the work has to be observed by an engineer, uh, there's still opportunities for licensed building practitioners. I think that's uh, an important takeaway. And I think uh, the other thing that's really important we harp on about this as uh, regulators quite often is any work that uh, is undertaken must comply with the building code. So if you have a building code obligation, uh, obligation in any respect and you've triggered that obligation by doing some building work, you must uh, meet the minimum requirements of the building code. So you've got to be satisfied in your own mind that you're doing that as a practitioner, whether that's in a design sense or actually carrying out the work. Just the last note, you must think about the other legal requirements that might affect the work that you're doing. And this is no different. It's always been in play. But because some of the structures are slightly larger, it's probably more relevant. So that's things like resource consents if you're building over an easement and things like that, but uh, most of the folk here today will be uh, well and truly that.
0: So Paul, can I uh, jump in with a question here? So uh, let's say I'm a weekend warrior. I'm not a licensed building practitioner. Um, I choose to do something that's uh, under one of these exemptions. I still have to make sure that everything I do is in compliance with the building code. I don't kind of get an exemption. Of course, I'm not a not an LBP. Is that correct?
1: Yes, that's correct. Regardless of uh, who undertakes the work, it's the bottom line, really. There is a little bit of lead way, but that's a, a territorial authority discretion. So any general member of the public or a practitioner can't waive or modify a building code requirement basically bottom line uh, there's no negotiation on that right so this one here it's an existing exemption that's been expanded the existing footprint of a building that's detached from a um, residential dwelling uh, is 10 square meters now that's moved to 30 square meters but there are a couple of caveats on that that haven't changed so you can't have bathroom or kitchen facilities if you use this exemption but uh, you must also if it's going to be for sleeping purposes put a smoke detector in. The other thing to note uh, your catchment on the roof slightly more because you've got a bigger footprint it's dealing with that uh, drainage probably easier if you're uh, just going into the stormwater main and you're just connecting a lateral into that but if you're uh, loading up a um, septic tank or some other uh, on-site unit, you really need to think about uh, and make sure that, that uh, it can take, um, well it wouldn't be taking, uh, it wouldn't be going through the septic tank if it's stormwater, sorry, but uh, you know what I mean, if it's if it's being dealt with through a soak pit or something on-site and that's just, again, harking back to compliance with the building code. Uh, we've put this sort of uh, three options here in these tables. Uh, And as I mentioned, the first one there, uh, build without a professional, this is the one that's in play at the moment. So that will remain in the schedule. 10 square metres, that's basically always been there for some time. So now building owners can use an exemption uh, without a licensed building practitioner, without an engineer, and build up to 30 squares. But this is using lightweight materials, and it must follow compliance with B1, AS1. So it's quite restrictive. And I guess what we think we'll probably see in the space with the introduction of uh, modern methods of construction is that there'll be a lot of prefabricated stuff happening in factories that will probably fill the void in the space. Uh, The second exemption is prefabricated, where it's um, engineered design. That, again, can be between 10 and 30 square metres. That one has to be approved by a CPENG, and that's the key sort of requirement there. The most important one for the audience tonight is there's an opportunity for a building practitioner to erect or use a prefabricated building if they like. And that is, again, 10 to 30 square metres. And this is both design and construction uh, must be undertaken and or supervised by a licensed building practitioner. So that's probably... Really important point there that uh, it's design and construction, so being an LBP you want to work within your area and scope of practice. So if you're doing the design work, if, you're not, if you don't have a design class license, we wouldn't think you'd um, consider yourself competent in that space. And the same goes for the construction of that building. It's relying on the relevant license class. This one's an existing exemption again, carports up to 40 square metres. Uh, This is an expansion of an existing one, so the existing one still stands, but this is an opportunity to build bigger carports to to house vehicles. Obviously, it's just an opportunity for licensed building practitioners, again, can do that. They can carry out or supervise the design and construction of that uh, carport. But there's also an opportunity for a charter professional engineer, and we've already seen in the space that uh, there are proprietary systems out there so again, uh, a licensed building practitioner could draw down on that, but you don't have to do the design. You could just be doing the carrying out phase. I guess the nature of these um, buildings, and um, is probably more of an expert in here, being a chartered professional engineer himself, uh, the nature of these buildings being sort of largely cantilevered on poles often. They, you can't really design them out of NZS 3604. You've got to, you know, the bracing of them's a little bit more specific than that. So you really want to probably talk to your engineer just follow normal practice, I guess, is the, is the key message there. So here we go. Uh, here's a, another table that basically explains that. We've done these for uh, tables for the first couple, just so you get the hang of it. Uh, so there's the existing exemption, the first one, floor area of 20 square meters, build without a professional. That's the current state. Future state on the 31st of August, uh, introduction of some new exemptions that provide for these things where you've got a kit set or a prefab design, engineer designed, and that's a CPENG, so that's a charter professional engineer, you can go from 20 to 40 square meters. Right. Finally, uh, in the license building practitioner space, again, if you build a carport of 25, 30, 40 square meters, uh, that design and construction must be done by a licensed building practitioner. An awning, these are often proprietary systems. We see them out in the marketplace all the time but there's uh, opportunities there to build slightly larger awnings. And again, same rules apply if you, a licensed building practitioner can either carry out or supervise the design and construction of that uh, awning, or you can get a proprietary engineered solution. But it must be a chartered professional engineer. And again, ground floor, verandas and porches. This one has stood for some time. And it's just an extension of the current exemption and in terms of its size, its footprint. So, um, yeah, just to go on again, it's uh, a new LBP exemption. And those same rules apply around design and construction. And then you've got the proprietary option for an engineer. Over to Reza. Alrighty, maybe,
0: uh, maybe before we uh, jump in, we're getting some good uh, questions coming through on some of the elements we've just talked about. So I wonder if we might try and uh, tackle a couple of those questions now. Is that all right with you guys? Yeah. Uh, Someone said uh, most of them are around that 30 square meters. We were talking about standalone buildings. Uh, Lots of garages are typically 36. Do we have any insight as to why the 30 square meters was chosen?
1: I think it's, and this would be my stab,
2: (laughs) would be it's. um, (laughs) Basically, the key criteria is based on the some based. Practice standard, especially around eleven seventy point five. There is a threshold for thirty square meters as an importance level one buildings. Yeah, this is the one of the key criteria we just taking into account in terms of deciding the threshold for the floor sizes. Okay, yeah. so I guess if one of the core documents
1: for a uh, uh, LBP is NZS three six oh four. So I think there's a table very early in three six oh four that points to the what Reza was talking about the IL one and two buildings. Yeah. And I think NZS 3604, uh, we could clarify this, but I think it's got a table and it talks about an one building to 30 square metres at the front end.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Basically, 1170.5 as well as some practice notes from MB just clarified in terms of, aisle one building so this is the one of the key criteria to just deciding the threshold for the maximum floor size of these buildings yeah Yeah, that's managing but but basically for other buildings like carports we use the 40 square meters just accommodate some maybe double cars so in terms of just taking to account some concentration of the usage of the building but in terms of the single story detached building because they can use in different usages like sheds or a storage or a studio for some small uh, sleep outs. So we, we just try to stick to some limitations in terms of how we can take this building as a IL1 and align with the best practice standards. Yeah. Okay. I guess. Great. Yeah,
1: I, don't, I think whatever we ended up with, someone would want more. <laughs> yeah, um, certainly. <laughs> of course. Uh, uh, when we, what we, um, if you remember what we, um, consulted on was smaller and so we did listen to people yeah we did listen to people in that respect and the ministers are the ultimate (laughs) decision makers in this respect so uh, there was actually um, a lot of thought that went into it but I think if you reference that standard you'll see that in in either you know 1170 or N Z D 3604 there's good reason to do that. But yeah, if there's any other questions now, we're happy to take them.
0: Uh, yep, a couple more. A uh, good one in from Jake. 30 square meter single single-story dwelling would still require um, stormwater catchment and connecting to an existing town supply stormwater. So is there any consenting that needs to be done around the stormwater element of that dwelling?
1: No, we've. I think we've confirmed that in the guidance. We've said that, is, that assumes a connection. And there is a um, a specific exemption for um, sort of minor works to drainage, if you look in the uh, list of exemptions, but that would have to be undertaken by a licensed uh, practitioner. So you can't do sanitary plumbing or drainage work without being licensed. So we've had that question before. So uh, I think I'm pretty certain that's covered in the guidance.
0: Okay. Very good, thanks for that question, Jake. Um, One from Clark here, I think I know the um, answer, but let's uh, throw it at you guys. Again, on the 30 square meter sleep bounce. will existing clause be amended? Uh, Schedule one, three, to subclause one, and that uh, reads its own height to any residential building or to any legal boundary. Will this trigger a consent? So, maybe if I can have a crack at rephrasing what I think the question is if we've got a, um, say a 30 square meter sleep out and it was infringing the district's plans that that area was in, height to boundary issue, then that would trigger a consent. Yep. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah. If it didn't infringe bad. the standard height to boundary, it would be under the exemption and we could proceed with the yeah.
1: with the things that are associated with that exemption yeah yeah we've tried to I guess the idea around these exemptions you try and we've tried to de-risk them as much as we can they are generally um, sort of low risk to um, yes. the people that are doing them we must stress that that that's why we've allowed that's why they've been passed and into and law is that uh, you know that's a combination of factors that gives I suppose the government confidence that this work can be done uh, mm-hmm. and Having it uh, it's hide away from the boundary is one of those yeah, things yeah. that uh, yeah. we we're, we're fairly confident that you won't impringe any height recession planes. You won't spread a fire. Won't become an issue. All those sorts of things have been thought sure. through and tried sure. to de-risk it as much as we
2: can.
0: Yeah. Okay. And one around the carports exemption, uh, do they have to be standalone, or can they be attached to uh, another building?
2: Ah, uh, basically, there is currently there is no restriction in terms of so probably they both. Can be covered in this exemption, so mm-hmm. they can be either attached or they can be either a standalone one. So
1: uh, you you must comply with the code, yeah, definitely. So and, if and you're de- fixing through the envelope, there's good <laughs> there's good um, details and E2AS one to deal with that. And then you've got your um, in real terms, you if you're a, if it's a large cantilever off the side of a house, you probably want to get an engineer involved because uh, you've got significant uplift on a structure like that uh, of that size so you just need to work within your competency Uh, you can do the work you could maybe do portions if you're a designer do portions of the design but I suspect because of the nature of it you're not going to be able to use 3604 you're going to go to 1170 probably wanted an engineer but at least you're not having to uh, go through the consent pathway but you can be satisfied in your own mind uh, that you've met the code if you've consulted an engineer for the particularly the structural uh, skeleton of that um structure yeah we've
0: got a couple of the questions here that i think uh, may get addressed as we as we go along so i might hold on those maybe just i'll just touch on the one from raymond brimner thank you um can a homeowner build any of these exemptions under a uh, owner-builder exemption. I think what you'll find is, as Paul and Reza are presenting each case, you'll find what the, is entailed with the exemption. So often they may be able to undertake the building, but it has to be supervised by a licensed building practitioner, or the design has got to have been done by a certified engineer, et cetera. So as they touch on each one of those, you'll see at a very high level um, what what is, uh, what is allowed and what is not. And then obviously there's far more detailed information available for each individual um, scenario. Yeah. yeah um guys oh, Paul Go? yeah
1: i just thought i'd add a little bit there if you're talking about they might be talking about the the homeowner exemption that um people can draw down on to do restricted building work if that's the case um anything in schedule one is not restricted building work so there, there are no homeowner exemptions there's only the specific um, categories yeah. of license class that people can do the work so the answer is, can a um, homeowner do any of the ones that are specifically for licensed building practitioners? The answer is no, unless they're supervised by a building practitioner. So it does enable the ability. So you could, uh, a member of your family, you could supervise them doing the work, but it's the same rules apply as if you were supervising with your license when you um uh, doing consented work, you must follow, well the best course of action is to follow the practice note that we've issued around supervision. Uh, so if that person has very good knowledge, very good building skills, you apply a different level of supervision than you would for someone that was had no skills whatsoever.
0: Thanks for the clarification, guys. Clark, thanks for your uh, questions around the height to boundary. Um, I'm keen to keep the webinar going just so we can cover off some of the other bits. So let us do that. If we've got time, we'll come back and, and dig further into that one. If not, I can get the NB uh, team to reply um, directly around that uh, after the webinar. So Paul and Rosa, let's hand back to you to uh, keep going.
2: Yeah, thanks, Ryan. Yeah, uh, I just carry on on some new exemptions. So moving on just quite list of the new exemptions, what I mean from new is unlike some exemptions which are the expansion of the previous ones, these are quite new ones. Maybe not all of these exemptions I'm trying to talk about may apply to audience here, but I just wanted to take you through the full list of the exemptions. Before moving forward, I would like to reiterate that the building blocks exempted from exemptions have always several conditions or I prefer to call restrictions such as the locations, height limit, size limit, or wind speed limit, wind zone limit, and so forth. So please, uh, as Paul, Paul mentioned, in, I encourage everybody to have a look at the exact wording of our regulation as well as the MB comprehensive document to identify what are the restrictions and conditions for each new exemptions. So here is the first one, single-story pole sheds and hay barns in a rural zone. So these buildings, as far as the maximum pillar area is less than 110 square meters and design and construction carried by LBP or design has been carried out or reviewed by chartered professional engineer, they are exempted from the building consent and i guess the c pinch one primarily targeted the pre-engineering kit sets or products currently available in the market there is no restriction on type of material for this kind of the buildings unlike maybe the name implied because i have some query in terms of Maybe just giving a signal that this is for particular type of materials, but this is no restriction on the material for this kind of buildings. However, additional professional advice may be needed for this type of building, especially when using the construction materials or methods, which LBP probably are not familiar with. So it is very highly recommended. And this type of building covered these exemptions expected to be classified as the importance level one buildings per, per building regulations. So it means that the life safety risks or risk to neighboring property classified as a law based on the best practice standards. This is one of the key things we should consider. Also, to be qualified for these exemptions, owner must not, for example, convert this type of buildings for any usage with public access. This is another key criteria here. And finally, I guess, This is not the blanket exemption, so there is some certain limit in terms of, so I call it location dependent. So if they they are located in wind zone larger than high, they are not exempted from the building consent. So all this information comes in guidance document. The second one is uh, permanent outdoor fireplaces or ovens. As far as they are built with the maximum height of 2.5 meters from the ground, and the maximum cooking surface area of one square meter. As I mentioned before, there is also additional restrictions or conditions in the regulation in or in the guidance document to reduce the risk, especially around the fire risk. Uh, sometimes some local governments have tighter or further restriction on top of the requirement of the building code. For example, while we specified one meter distance from the boundary based on the building code, you, you may need to have a three meters distance from the, your neighboring property based on fence regulation to light the fire. So this is the another area always we are trying to signal the owners in this space. I guess the third new one is the ground mounted solar array panels. This is another exempted in the new list of the exempted building works and most of the audience are quite familiar with the roof-mounted solar array panels but this exemption is specially designed or targeted the ground mounted solar array panels under different or certain conditions so for example in rural zone as far as the design wind speed is less than for example 44 meters per second or not located in higher than high wind zone there is no limit in the rural zone in terms of size. But if you are in the urban zone, or it's maybe right right to say outside of the rural rural zone, panel arrays up to 20 square meters can be built without any help of professional, maybe big homeowner. But between 20 to 40 square meters can be built if designed has been carried out or reviewed by chartered professional engineer. I guess the second one or involvement of engineer is just, again, primarily targeted to just cover some sort of pre-engineered kit set or supports for this kind of buildings. And uh, it is important also to just, Keep in mind, if there is only electrical works or any likely connection to power grids, always you need to talk with uh, local governments or just competent persons in terms of doing this kind of works. There may be interesting one from my perspective is the short span or small bridges. Short span bridges exempt from the building consent as far as they meet certain conditions as well as the design carried out or reviewed by CPange. So the key condition is that that these small bridges are privately owned without any public access. Short span means the total length of deck is less less than six meters. There is no restriction on use of this sort of bridges as far as the bridge are not used by general public. On top of that, they should meet the building code compliance documents, especially around having the code compliance barriers. All this technical information comes in the guidance document. and one of the key important criteria is we believe involvement of geotechnical as well as the structure and engineer is very important for this type of the building works. And it is very highly recommended option is involvement of group of engineers to design, especially if you use for vehicles for this kind of the bridges. And I guess the just a few minor ones to finish our presentation is the uh, the flexible water storage bladders. So... The bladders are commonly the products, but they are sitting directly on the ground with the maximum capacity of 200,000 liters, exempted from the consent as far as they used for firefighting or irrigation purposes and considerable distance from the boundary. Owners should follow any safety precautions or instruction from the manufacturers or suppliers for this type of warps. And the last one is the small pipe supporting structures. So basically, They are very small stands or structures or frames used for just supporting the very small pipes in the private lands. So this is another type of the exemptions which is just coming into force at the end of this month. So I guess I covered most of the new list of exemptions. So I just hand over Paul.
1: yeah, Yeah, I just thought in conclusion to what has um, just said, I guess what uh, you're probably wondering what triggers some of these uh, exemptions that we get. And, um, you know, you've probably seen more sort of fireplaces turn up in people's uh, properties and then water storage uh, in a lar- on a large scale. People talk to us and say, you know, is this building work? And um, we talk to our legal folk and we find out that it is is—it's uh, classified as legal building work. So it's probably right to put it in that uh, exemption if we put some limitations around the use and try and guide people to meet compliance with the building code. So that's um, some of the things might seem a little bit unusual in there. But it's just trying not to overregulate and put things through a consent process, but uh, basically acknowledging that they exist, they happen. Um, and these are the safest ways to um, deal with those. So that's just a, an important point worth mentioning. All we really want to say is exemptions come into effect on Monday the 31st of August 2020. The key ones for this audience are obviously the licence building practitioner-facing exemptions, but there are opportunities elsewhere. So uh, you'll see more stuff there. I've mentioned the Build magazine. You'll get more from the licensing team at Enby. You'll get more stuff you'll see more stuff out there just in general about the exemptions. This is the way I like to think about things is whenever you trigger a building code requirement you must meet the minimum requirement. So you know an easy way in a structural sense to meet the building code if it applies to the building type that you're building, you can use an acceptable solution such as NZS36 uh, cited standards such as NZS, uh, NZS3604 or you can look to use um, E2AS1 which is another paint by numbers solution. The resource consent uh, matters are very relevant, particularly uh, in small urban uh, sites where you probably will struggle to get a thirty square metre dwelling on an already crowded site in terms of your site coverage and and trying to get away from your um, high recession planes. So you need to be conscious of that. But there are opportunities in most of those areas for um, licensed building practitioners. The last thing there, the last point, is around our guidance document. It's pretty comprehensive. I've been through it, and it's pretty much provides examples for every scenario, whether that be an engineer-led exemption, uh, LBP or a homeowner. So I think each case is covered and look out for that one.
0: Right, I think as many of us being licensed building practitioners, being able to go ahead and do this work and do it under the the correct, obviously building code and the correct requirements around the exemption, but um, not having to apply for consent should help speed things up for our customers and, and for ourselves as uh, Builders. Maybe if we jump to those questions now, is there um, any there that you're able to uh, tackle, guys?
2: Can now LBPs Not. still build pole sheds now? So basically the exemptions covers uh, the LBP or engineer. Getting advice from engineer is very highly recommended option in the guidance because they are yep. typically in big structures. So.
1: so there's opportunities for licensed building practitioners. The building practitioner could supervise Someone, but as Reza said, these are not typical. you wouldn't typically, although it allows the opportunity for an LBP to design it. You could design the line share, yeah. but I think the actual superstructure, the connections, you've got to think about the ground conditions yeah. and uh, how much cantilever, all those yeah. sort of things yeah. that are really sort of out, sort of typical thing. And remember that the the pole shed is it's up to 110. You, yeah. That's not a target. Yeah. So you could build a <laughs> smallest pole <laughs> yeah. shed, and you might be able to. Um, You know, you might be able to build uh, a decent designer with an LBP license, might be able to design the lion's share. But I think I would say just follow your normal process. So when you're designing a house, if you're a licensed building practitioner, you would typically cover off all the NZS 3604. If there was a beam that was outside uh, your expertise, a big girder truss or whatever it was, um, you'd get an engineer in to do that specific engineered design. They'd crunch the numbers in 1170 and they'd come out with the right sort of size member, whether that be steel, timber or whatever. And then they'd take the load path down to ground. It's just not a thing that um, you're silly to sort of get involved in that if you're not uh, competent. And uh, But there are proprietary systems around that um, you can also use. Got no, on to
2: top it. of that, I guess there is also some restrictions in terms of the location, as I previously alluded, because you can't construct the hay barns or pole sheds when you're having the extra or very high wind zone. This is the another criteria. But all this information... Come up in the guidance. Okay and
0: the guidance will be available thank you Michelle um, just let me know that the guidance document will be available on the building.govt.nz website prior to the 31st of August yep. um, so before these exemptions uh, come come to be, they'll be, be available on there. Um, Guysy, can you tackle the question from Keith if you intend to install a bathroom within the 30 square meter detached building it will need a consent but the consent will then only be for the bathroom, not for the fill build. Is that your understanding?
1: The way I would approach that, because <laughs> I know you if you went to 67 councils around the country, you get 67 in different interpretations. Yep. I would say you're well within your rights to build the building proper and uh, you can apply for the consent just for the bathroom because yep. you can build as of right the 30 square metre. So then you can just apply for the consent as you're, as you're building it, right? So technically speaking, that is correct. But, um, you okay. know, if you, if you put, what will happen is if you document all the design on plan and put it into the council, they will assess it for building code compliance. Whereas if you've already built it and all you're doing is saying, I've got this space, I want to put a bathroom into it. That's both compliant and there's no problem with that. You could, there's nothing to stop you using that exemption and then you're not changing your use of the building. You're just adding, you know, a bathroom.
0: Look, we've got we've got plenty of sort of questions around the height to boundary restrictions and and size of the. I think there's a lot of variables in, involved there, so it mm-hmm. would be about getting into the detail of the exemption for each individual building, and then looking at the district plan requirements for each council that it would be involved under. Would it be? Fair?
1: I, I guess just to... Um, but in there, Ryan, we, there's actually some really good um, detail on that in the guidance document. So just sort of okay. just. Uh, um, With these sort of three scenarios where they've actually drawn a house and they show it in relation to the boundary. So, uh, you know, hopefully that covers most bases in terms of uh, most planning requirements. As a basic rule of thumb, if there's any restriction on the work in an occupational licensing sense, so if it's prescribed electrical work, if it's sanitary plumbing, uh, you know, you can't escape the fact that that has to be done by a licensed person, right?
0: Yes. This is a great question from uh, Douglas. Thank you. Uh, I was thinking about this one during the presentation, which, um, can as-built plans of exempt building work done be given to council for inclusion in the property file so that all work on site is kept current?
1: You can actually, you know, some councils, they have different systems, but by, like I know Wellington here, Wellington City Council, you can fill out a form and put, a, put it into them, but they won't take any you know, they're just saying this is the information we've been provided, because the building access to to keep information on file for the life of the building, you can ask councils, I guess they're cutting to the chase, you can ask councils to do it, because I guess the exemptions are are quite, some of them are temporary things that you'd use, like the bladders, you know, you're not going to want those put on file, Um, and then people putting boundary fences up, right, they're not going to want that to be stuck on file so um you know i, I guess it depends i
2: suppose what uh, yeah
0: what I, I can certainly see guys as a um a homeowner if you uh, come to sell your house and you've got a 30 square meter uh, outbuilding that you've built under the exemption um the first question people are going to ask you is is, the, is it consented and mm-hmm. you're going to you know as a homeowner sit there and go oh no, no it was built under an exemption and people may be a little skeptical of that mm-hmm. so you kind of end up in this strange situation where you really want the, the council to give um, their approval that it was built under an exemption. Mm. Um, I don't know how that's going to pan out, but I could see how that uh, scenario might happen.
1: Yeah, no, it's a good yeah. point.
0: Ruben, interesting question. Can we do extensions on existing pole barns?
2: Do you yeah. Yeah. As far as you meet the filler size limit, you can have some extension. Extension is just kind of using the different materials or this sort of things. Maybe you need some professional advice in terms of compatibility of different materials or just these sort of things. But yeah, definitely legally you can. Yeah, um, I think,
1: and that's the same with the carports. I think one of the some of the examples in the guidance are adding square meterage onto an existing carport, so extending it. So yep. that's within scope. So I think that's the case for all of them. Yep. Yeah.
0: Tim, there's a lot of questions coming in around um, height to boundary and building height compared to other other structures. My my sense is again there's a lot of variables here, and we probably would need to look at an individual scenario based around the published guidance once it's available. Yep. Um, is that the probably where it's at at the moment?
1: Yeah. There's quite a bit of detail on that in the guidance. Um, okay. Yeah, and there's actual sort of, um, yeah, some sketches, some figures and things like that to try and explain it. So I think, yeah, let that land. If you've, if the members uh, have still got questions, then they can always uh, circle back to us.
0: I wonder if, the, can we answer this one around, I am an LBP for carpentry. Do I need to up LBP designer for design or can I follow NZS 3604?
1: Basically, you work within your competence, right? So if you want to stay out of trouble
2: yeah yeah potential and, 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 i mean it's
1: like you know you you're best to work with that's what the scheme provides for right so uh and it's an offense it's actually an offense
2: not to work outside your competency so um and just adding to paul's point that basically some of these structures is not covered with 3604 this is a, one of the key things we should emphasize so carports or this sort of structures maybe slightly or some elements can be covered by 3604 but be a different scenario so in in Mm. general view I guess it's outside of 3604 yeah
1: if you look at section 9 of 3604 that deals with your um, awning type things you've got poles that cantilever out of the ground but the area they support is quite small so you can do stuff out of 3604 but it's fairly limited so um, if you you know I would say just do what you normally do if you Mm. if you build well then build well if you're not a designer um, don't do that. But you know, like it's I guess if some of the other exemptions, if you're building a low-level deck to the ground, and there's a real easy paint-by-numbers solution in 3604, you can work out you you can work out your pile spacings, yeah. your bearers, you can put your joists on top, and no problem, right? But I think if you're going to be designing some of these more um, difficult structures, even a 30 square meter uh, dwelling or a, a, in a detached building then I would stick to your sort of knitting. That would be my advice. And if your license, uh, when you issued your license, it has your area of practice. So you just need to look at that and it'll tell you what you're um, qualified to do.
0: So guys, a couple of questions around what's going to be in place for people that uh, do a build under a exemption? What's going to be in uh, place to make sure that it is done correctly, that an LBP has been supervised that if that was the requirement for that particular exemption? Um, is there any guidance yet from NB or from councils about how, I guess, these rules or exemptions will be uh, adhered to and an enforcement of the correct elements of those? How will that be handled?
1: I guess it's the more sort of rules you put in, the more you're regulating. So I guess we're encouraging people to, if, the, if it is an LBP exemption, to use an LBP. So there's no one monitoring this, right? If you, I guess, like we'd say to other, in other areas, if, if you were an LBP and you saw someone that you thought was doing something that wasn't right, you can always either tell MB about that. If you think they're um, drawing down on or they're doing restricted building work, we have a number of complaints in that area. um, And there was a criminal prosecution taken not so long ago because it was a serious offence in that area. So, yeah, I guess there's means and ways of dealing with it, but there's no... desire to over-regulate in the space, and that's why these things have been released because they're considered if the right people are doing them, then the Mm -hmm. risk should be relatively low, um, Mm -hmm. particularly with the restrictions that uh, Reza sort of mentioned.
2: Yeah, just just adding to some points from Paul, I guess, is in terms of exemptions, we are just slightly relying on the qualified people to manage the work, and on top of that, I guess MB MB at the same time working on just producing different type of information or educational program to support owners who wish to comply with the building code mm-hmm. or support the owners in terms of compliance with the building code.
0: And just uh, want to reiterate um, from one of the MBT members that letting council know that you have chosen to build under one of these exemptions and follow the appropriate rules is a, is a good idea. Um, just so that uh, further down the track, there is a record of the fact that you did notify, notify council that that was the case. A question from Stuart, interesting one. Can the 30 square metre building be the first building on site?
1: No, it's got to be associated with the dwelling. Yeah. Yeah, so because it's got no sanitary, um, yeah, it's a, that's the association that you're relying on the main building, to um, for your sanitation and uh, for for cooking facilities and things like that. If it is to be used um, for sleeping purposes, but that's as a general rule, it's a detached building, which would say it's associated with a dwelling. Awesome. I think the guidance will will clarify that too
0: good thank you I think we've um, tackled most of the um, questions we've got here I hey, would like to uh, thank all of you for giving up valuable time that have attended the uh, session this evening it's been really uh, great to see such a large audience come in and wanting to be better informed and have a better understanding about what's going on it's Paul and Reza and some of the people in the background at MB Polly Michelle uh, Tom etc I would like to really thank you guys for the um, effort you've put in for getting these things underway and executed and for your time. This evening guys thanks again that's a wrap for the webinar this evening it's been been a pleasure thanks guys thank you very much Thanks,
2: thanks everybody